a place where the outcasts of society were welcomed in and were truly accepted, where they found a sense of family and of love, where people stood by you, where people had your back through thick and thin, a place where you were given a purpose in life. Would you think I was describing to you, A, the church, or B, the mongrel mob? I want to think about that for a second. Settle that in. I'm going to pray. Lord, come be in this place which is redundant in saying that because you're already here. But be here. Be amongst us. And, and speak through me. Help us to hear what you want to say to us this morning. In your name, amen. So I'm not, I'm not, you're not going to count me as, as one of those in, in favor of gangs. I'm, I'm not in favor of gangs. There's a lot of destructive patterns of behavior in there. And yet in our society, gangs are flourishing and churches are dwindling. What does that say about us? I think there is one problem. Well, there's a lot of problems. <laughs> many, many problems. Here's one problem I think that we have. I think that the church is getting out-familied by gangs. The church is getting out-familied by gangs. One of the biggest reasons people will not set foot in, you know, people say, I would never go to church. And they wouldn't set foot in a church door. They always say, because I don't want to get struck by lightning. You know that, that kind of half joke that people make? They're like, oh, if I ever step foot in a church, man, whoo, there'll be a lightning storm, you know. They're only half joking. But I think what they're really concerned about is not God's judgment, but ours. It'll be the judgment I get from the other people sitting in the seats around me. A few weeks ago, uh, Carrie read out a welcome to everyone, a hi to my, to us all. I want to read a portion of that again. You'll probably hear it again um, in, in the coming weeks. But she said, your whole self is welcome here. Your greatest successes and your deepest failures are all welcome here. That thing you don't want us to know about, it's welcome here too. No, it doesn't scare us. And yes, we've got stuff too. We welcome you in your weakness. We welcome you in your privilege. We welcome you in your grief. We welcome you in your guilt and in your shame. You are welcome here. How does it feel to hear that? Do you think it accurately reflects the attitude of the church? Don't answer that. <laughs> Do you think it accurately uh, depicts or reflects the actual attitude of Jesus? Do you think he was like that? Let's have a look. Jesus lived his life on earth, his earthly life, um, in a very interesting, religiously zealous type place. Um, in Israel, in the, the first century, uh, was a time where there was a lot of religious zeal. Uh, the leaders, uh, the group of leaders called the Pharisees, were, were really gung-ho 
about making sure that everybody was doing the right things, saying the right things, being what they would call pure. Because they wanted, they believed that if the, if the people were pure enough, then Jesus would send his, then God would send his Messiah, the promised one, the one we now know as Jesus. So they were trying to clean up the town, clean up everybody's acts so that God would come. Part of that was this very strict sense that if you were not following the rules, you were to be ignored. You, we could not be around dirty people. We could not be around sinners. We could not be around outcasts because to do so would be to take on their sin, to take on their rebellion, to take on all of that stuff. And so they had this sense like we are the pure people and those people are not following the rules, so we're going to stay well clear of them. All right? There was a strong sense of in or out. Jesus, on the other hand, seemed to take a slightly different approach. He was, by all accounts, a good person. He was better than all of the Pharisees. He followed all of the rules. He was perfect. Yet he did not take on this attitude of keeping away from those who were not. In fact, he had this really annoying habit of hanging out with people that everyone else was calling sinners. I mean, real sinners, the real lowest level of people in society that the Pharisees wouldn't even walk on the same side of the road as. Jesus is having lunch with them. He's hanging out with them. He's eating with them. And then it just goes from bad to worse because, like a lot of other religious leaders, Jesus gathered a group of followers, of uh, students, if you will, or interns might be a more uh, modern appropriate and, and a lot of them would do that. But instead of going to all of the top universities and, and kind of getting applications from all of the brightest students, all of the ones who are just bang on with what God was about, he kind of went down and, and just got a whole bunch of random people. And he went down to the docks. He got a whole bunch of fishermen. He got a, a political zealot. I mean, this guy who was just like a political crazy man. He got people with all sorts of different personality problems. He even picks a guy who he knows is going to steal from him and then betray him. These weren't just people he was hanging out with. These were his interns. All of the people that the Pharisees were too good to hang out with, he had them on his team. And then it kind of just comes to a head. When Jesus picks a guy called Levi, or as we know him, Matthew, and he chooses him to be one of the disciples. This is the story. In Luke chapter 5, you'll see it up on the screen. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi, that's Matthew, sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others that's a very heavy others, by the way, <laughs> were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? See, this is a problem. Jesus, I mean, bless his heart, he could have picked a lot of people, but he chose a tax collector to be part of his crew. 
Now, this is not a nobody likes taxes, everybody hates the IRD type tax collector situation. This is far worse than that. In fact, it's interesting that the verse, they, they separate tax collectors from sinners. And it's not because sinners are worse. I think it's because it's the other way around. Think of it this way. Imagine for a second, just, just for a second, but imagine for a second that Australia decided they wanted to invade New Zealand. Take us over. Five-minute operation, okay, honestly. Uh, and so they invade New Zealand and, and they take over. And they come in and they take all of our silver ferns and they paint them yellow, you know. And then they install Shane Warne as Prime Minister, you know. And then they take the Oakuni carrot and turn it into a great big giant didgeridoo, okay. So we're not liking Australia at this point. But then imagine that they created a very special tax, this brand new tax just for us Kiwis. And this tax was going to pay for all of the Australian politicians to have free beer in Parliament, right? That's what it's going to be, all right? So we're not a fan of this. Then they decide we're going to go and start hiring Kiwis to go around and collect this tax from each other. You can imagine how popular those people would be. Then we find out, we find out that these so-called Kiwis are not only taking the tax for this beer party, but they're also charging extra for their own pockets. They're charging their own people against this oppressive, oppressive Australian army. And because they've got soldiers around them, there's nothing you can do about it. How popular would these people be? Somewhat less than, I would say. This is how tax collectors were seen. This is what they did. They were hired by the Romans, who were this oppressive invading army, to take a tax away from God's people and send it to Rome, where they would never see it. And not only were they doing that, but they were robbing their own fellow countrymen. Tax collectors, scum of the earth. And here's Jesus, eating with them, hanging out with them. Got one in his crew. So they confront Jesus as they like to do. It's like, <laughs> what's going on here, eh? Listen to what Jesus says. Verse 31 to 32. Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Of course he's going to hang out with these people. Doctors don't spend an awful lot of time in the healthy people ward of the hospital. It's pointless. They're with the sick. They go, Jesus was here for the sinful people, not to avoid sinful people. Now, this little incident helps us to kind of tease something out that is a very big part of the church Northwest culture. We've been going through our kind of our mission statement a little bit, and we've danced around it a little bit, but this kind of talks to our, our loving, having genuine love for all people. If you kind of, I don't know if it's up on the, the screen. Hey, there it is. So we want to be a community defined by a growing faith towards Jesus and a genuine love for all people. And this speaks to that. Because every community, every group of people that is you know, formalized into a group, whether it's a gang or whether it's a knitting group, they have this set of generally accepted social codes, right? Things that we do. We do this, we don't do that. And so what I want to do is I want to use this story to help create three 
that's two. Three social codes for Church Northwest. Okay? All right. The way that we're going to operate as a church. The first one is this. We come as we are. If you are messed up, you're exactly who Jesus wants to hang out with. You're the one he wants to be with. If you've got problems, if you're not good enough, you aren't perfect by any means, or you find yourself on the outside like Matthew, Jesus wants to be your friend. You're the one that the creator of the whole world wants to be with. On the flip side of that coin, if you think you're actually pretty good, if you think you've got everything handled, you think everything is good, he's not interested. He doesn't have any time for you. He doesn't want to bar with you. You want to know why? He knows something. Jesus knows a little secret that deep down we kind of all know as well. No one's good. No one's perfect. There is not one single person who can stand up before God under their own strength, look them in the eyes and say, you and me, we're all right. No one can do that. The only people who say they can do that are lying to themselves and to each other. So Jesus, not interested in that facade, not interested in that lie, which is great because that means whether or not you are a Christian, whether or not you say you follow Jesus, you have no reason to come into this room or into any other room that we are in pretending to be something that you're not, pretending to have it all together, pretending like life is good. I mean, you might be happy, you might be having a great week, but to think that we are, yeah, I am good with God, my life is all in order, everything is just hunky-dory. And, and I'm just going to cruise through and I'm just going to have a little wave at St. Peter at the gates of heaven. I'm just going to cruise right on in. If you think that, then there's something wrong. And we don't need to pretend. But we do, don't we? We often pretend like this is the case. But here's the truth. Jesus is not interested in your mask that you put on, but he is interested in you. He wants to know you, the flawed person, the one who's struggling, the one whose life is falling apart, the one who doesn't know if they can do it, the one who is dealing with sin, the one who's dealing with rejection and shame, the one who can't look themselves in the mirror in the mornings. Yeah, God wants to know that person. God's got some stuff for you. Here is a truth. You are acceptable to Jesus right now. Right now. You're acceptable to Jesus. He wants to be with you. We come as we are. Second thing, we welcome others as they are. If Jesus, follow my logic here, if Jesus wants to hang out with the outsiders and the sinners, and if we are representatives of Jesus in this world, how are we treating outsiders and sinners? How are we doing with that? When they somehow find their way through these doors, how are we treating them? Let me say, lay something out here. And again, follow my logic on this because 
I really believe this. I believe deeply that what this hurting world needs, what the people in this hurting world needs, is the wholeness and the healing that Jesus brings, that only Jesus can bring. I believe that. I believe with all of the things that we've got going on, all of the help and all of the different groups of people trying to help out, the only one that can truly help the brokenness in this world is Jesus. He's the only one. I believe that. I also believe that the best way in our current culture for people to truly see and receive that healing that Jesus brings is in the context of a loving and genuine church community. I believe the church is the answer for people. We can give them information, but it is within the context of community that people truly meet and understand who Jesus is. So that and that are true. Here's another thing that is true. People will not stay or enter or join a community of people if they are feeling judged or condemned. They just won't, whether they should or not. And why would they? <laughs> we wouldn't. We wouldn't. People desperately need to feel that acceptance that Jesus offers, but they have so often identified the church as the last place they will find it. And that is an indictment against us. That is an insult to Jesus and the community that he wanted to, to build. He created a community of people where healing could happen, and instead what we have turned it into is a microphone shouting out to the world that they are wrong. We have, and not everybody, and this is, this is a generalistic concept, but we've turned into Pharisees in a lot of ways. I think we need to rethink our attitudes. And again, I'm not condemning us in this group either because we, we tend to want to do the right thing. But as a collective mass of churches, we have often gone down that road. So we need to change our attitude. And it starts with a basic understanding that we are broken as well. We've got Jesus, we're forgiven, we're saved, we have this eternal relationship with God now. And yeah, he's building us up, and so we might be doing better than we were before. And in fact, we may not be dealing with some of the sins that we see other people dealing with, right? And we see people struggling, and we're like, huh, I remember then, but I'm not there anymore. But we need to remember we are still broken. We should have a motto on every wall of every church, that comes from Romans 7, 24 to 25. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's how we want to be at Church Northwest. A broken community with hope of healing. Joy in healing, but never arrogance in being healed. That's who we want to be. So we welcome others as they are. Yeah, but this is the important part. This is the third part here. And we cannot miss this because a lot of groups will do this sort of thing. There are a lot of groups who will socially accept people around them, but they're missing this last step. Number three, we don't stay that way. We come as we are. We accept others as they are. We don't stay that way. 
Jesus was always committed to hanging out with the outcasts, with the people who are broken, with the people who are furthest from God, but he never compromised or discarded his stance on what is right and wrong. That's what we need to remember. That's the balance to this. He was more than happy to eat with tax collectors and those who disregarded God's laws, but he never condoned or encouraged what, he, what they did. In fact, there were times he often told them to shape up and to change their ways. Have a look at the statement to the religious leaders in verse 32. Um, if we Put it back up on the screen here. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's the key. Sinners to repentance. He's not just welcoming them in, but he is leading them forward into a place where they reject, this is what repentance means, rejecting what is bad and turning to something that is good. In this case, rejecting their life of ignoring God, rejecting the life of being separated from him and from doing things that he doesn't like and turning towards living a life with him. That's what he is wanting for people. He's not just calling them, he's calling them to repentance. So Jesus' full intention for everybody at this table of tax collectors is that they would leave all of the stealing, all of the swindling behind, reject that and turn and live a pure life. In fact, Jesus says in other places, and we're going to get into this in our next series, Jesus says your righteousness, your, your purity needs to be even greater than the Pharisees. He's not saying just do whatever you want and we're cool. You have to do the right thing, but here's the key. He doesn't lead with that. He doesn't lead with, you guys are wrong. He doesn't burst in the door and say, sinners, repent. He instead establishes a context of trust, of relationship, of acceptance, of love. He eats with them, which is the most amazing statement of acceptance in that culture, in fact, in our culture as well. Eating with someone is a statement of acceptance. And then in the context of that, he says, so what's going on in your life? How is this happening? There's a great story um, somewhere else in the, in the um, Luke, somewhere else in Luke, yeah, about a man named Zacchaeus. Some of you may have heard the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was another tax collector, except Matthew, we don't know if he was swindling people. Zacchaeus, we do. He was a bad man. Baddest man in the... Anyway. He, um, he was stealing people left, right, and center. Stealing from people left, right, and center. Let's be clear about that. But then Jesus comes to him and he says, I want to eat with you, Zacchaeus. I want to eat at your house. Which was a, a thing of honor. A thing of acceptance. And in the context of that meal, in the context of being face-to-face with a Jesus who was not condemning him, see, Zacchaeus completely changed his life. He says, I'm going to give back four times what I owe. If I've swindled anybody, you know, I'll, I'll, t- I'll take care of it. I'm going to give half of my money to the poor, just straight up. Because I found something of greater value. But he was never going to find that if Jesus stood at the bottom of the sycamore tree pointing up at Zacchaeus and says, you're a bad dude. God accepts you right now. He's got plans for you. We come as we are. We welcome others as they are in our church. But we don't stay that way. 
We've got places to go, things to do as people. God is leading us on a journey. And we want to bring everybody with us. Our core value, our core mission is to help each other take our next step towards Jesus. And I'm telling you that begins by creating an environment where anyone, anyone, anyone can come in and feel welcome. We don't have to agree with everything that everybody does or says to welcome them, to be a part of our community, to be part of our whanau, to be part of our gathering. And then through that, God can change people's lives. That's what I want Church Northwest to be about. That's what I want our attitude to be. And I love that it's happening. I love that this is something that's actually happening. I hope. I'm seeing it. I'm seeing people going up and meeting people. Saw people turn up this morning. Um, new people, they, they misunderstood what was going on. I didn't say, but um, they, they came in and I couldn't get from here to there before someone had come and said hi. That's great. That's beautiful. You know, and it wasn't someone who was scheduled on. It wasn't something that was, they were assigned to do. That's just our heart. That's what I want our church to be. A beautiful place where we can welcome in, where our small groups gather and are welcoming and loving and developing each other. That's my hope. That's my dream. That's what I want for this church. Let me pray. Lord, I just thank you that you gave us a model of love. Gosh, it would have been so much easier to just kind of sit on your high horse and point out all of the things that we had done wrong because you were perfect. You did nothing wrong. You were, you were flawless. And we, we're not. None of us are. But you got off that horse and you sat at our table and you guided us into the presence of God. It's a beautiful picture, Lord, and we want to take that picture and we want to run with it. We want our church community to be like that and we need your help. We fall into habits. We get judgmental oftentimes because we're shielding from our own brokenness. And we feel vulnerable because we know we have sinned and we should know better and all of that sort of stuff. But soften us, Lord. Soften us. And help us to see people as you see them. Your children. Lost sheep. Desperately in search of a shepherd. Someone, people who need guidance and love and care and tenderness. Thank you that we have an opportunity to do that for this world. It's in your name we pray. Amen.